Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Today we're speaking to Ashley, who is an egg donor. Um, So she talks us through the process of being an egg donor, um, her journey to becoming an egg donor, um, gives us some info as well on her relationships with her recipients. Um, She also talks about her relationship with her husband and how sort of he has either been um, involved in the process or not involved in the process. Um, so I'm like really excited about releasing this episode because I had such a good time interviewing Ashley and she was just such a big wealth of knowledge on egg donation and so passionate about it. Like you can hear it in her voice when she's talking. Um, she's just really, um, I don't know, cleared it up for me, I suppose, any questions that I had. So we, um, asked her all of your questions that you posted on our Insta as well. Um, So she was more than happy to answer those. And she gives advice. Have you said that? That she gives advice? Yeah? Yeah. You said that? (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) Um, Oh, she also says um, that bulk bulk billing clinics where she's based don't do egg donations, I think she said. Um, and she also yeah. said her piece of advice that she wishes she had have included in the interview was to investigate the sperm more. So she said a lot of clinics in only investigate egg quality, but that a lot of, you know, sperm, dodgy sperm goes unnoticed apparently like, you know, with DNA fragmentation and all of that sort of stuff. So she says to investigate the sperm and not just the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. She also um, provided us a heap of links and support groups and things as well. So if there is anyone looking to become an egg donor or looking for an egg donor, we'll include those yeah. in the show notes. Um, how do you feel about her episode? She was she was great. Like she was very open. She any question we put to her, she <laughs> had no hesitation in answering, which was really good. Like we sort of I think both expected to for her to say, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that or something. But no, she was an open book and elaborated on a lot and talked Especially about the questions where we're like, you know, like that came in from people on Insta, like, you know, do you feel a genetic pull to the child and things like that? Like that's an intense question yeah. to answer. Um, and I think she yep. just took it in her stride and she did a really good job and, um, yeah, like I, I couldn't couldn't fault her at all on anything and you know sitting there listening to her dog on on the bed you might hear that sometimes her dog (laughs) sort of jumps up on the bed and stuff so you can hear the tags um rattling around but hopefully I think it's going to be a really good episode to get out there and sort of yeah I think too like my big takeaway like because I normally go out after we've spoken to someone and Joe and I'll have like a debrief and like I said to him, like I've always looked at our eggs and our embryos as my babies. And then I 
while speaking to her, I had that realization of, you know, it's not that way for everyone. Like an egg donor doesn't see that as their baby necessarily Mm -hmm. or the potential baby. Like they are giving you a gift of that egg without that emotional attachment. Yeah, I think that's a really good um, way to discern it, you know, like to compartmentalize what it is because like you said like you know where we did IBF with the um the intention of falling pregnant and carrying the child ourselves and it's our genetic material whereas I think if you're Mm -hmm. handing over your eggs sort of thing so to say yeah I think it's important to compartmentalize it and I you know she mentions in her episode that she doesn't really want to have children of her own so I think that has been a big motivator for her as well and and, and a way for her to sort of compartmentalise things. I think it would be interesting to chat to someone maybe who's already donated eggs and who's already got children and to see how they feel about it. But I think the compar- like the compartmentalization is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so she also talks about limitations with how many times you can donate eggs, remember? I found that really interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something like I knew sperm donation from watching like shitty reality shows and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But like I hadn't even thought about it with egg donation. Like it hadn't crossed my mind. No, me either. Yeah. And like the fact that, you know, people could be like wandering around and then fall in love with their sibling and not even know it. Like that just blows my mind that that the government even has to think about that, you know, like that's something that I never thought about. So, yeah. Anyway, guys, we hope you enjoy listening to today's episode. If you've got any questions for Ashley, um, we are still doing the Q&As and things like that. So just um, make a post on our latest Instagram um, stories or um, post and Ashley will hopefully be able to answer those for you. Thanks for joining us today, Ashley. Did you just want to start us off uh, with a little bit about yourself and who's in your family? Yeah. Uh, So my name is Ashley. Uh, I am married and I don't have any human children, but I do have a Great Dane named Raylan. And uh, I'm originally from Chicago and I moved to Australia about 10 years ago and uh, live on the New South Wales central coast between the Hunter Valley. It's such a nice spot in Australia. I love the Hunter Valley. Got to get that wine in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, did you want to get us started with how you found out about egg donation and what led you to deciding to donate? Yeah. So I, I kind of have always been uh, a volunteer and done things like that. And uh, when I moved to Australia, I kind of lost those connections. So I started kind of looking into ways I could give back and help the community and, and things like that. And I, and I actually started looking into uh, like donating blood and I, and I at that same time kind of stumbled across egg donation uh, and I went to go donate blood and they, I'm terrified of needles, by the way, absolutely petrified. And uh, I was like, no, but I can, I can overcome this. I can, I can go donate blood. And they did the finger prick test to do my blood type and I passed out. So 
I was like, oh, uh, blood donation's not really for me. But at the same time, I had stumbled upon egg donation. And I was like, oh, that's really cool because I don't, I don't want children. And I was like, well, I must have all these eggs going to waste that other people might be able to use. And I was like, oh, I can, maybe I can do this egg donation thing. And then I saw that you had to inject yourself with needles. And I was like, nope, never mind. Shelf that idea. Uh, never, never even want to think about that ever again, because that sounds horrifying. And it just kind of kept pulling at the back of my head. And I kept thinking, maybe, maybe this is something I could do. Maybe I, maybe I can figure this out. And that's how I kind of got started. And I went to a fertility clinic and they said, oh, maybe, maybe go online and, and do some, do some research and, and see if maybe you want to choose who your recipients are and, and get some more information about the process. So that's what I did. And I've now done 10 IVF cycles for seven recipients. So. That's quite a feat for someone who doesn't like needles. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first time, the very first time I did the injection, the first cycle, I worked myself up so much. I was freaking out thinking about having to inject myself. And then I did the first injection and I just broke into hysterics because I was like, that was so easy and it didn't hurt. And I feel like such a baby for almost making myself pass out because I was so scared. And now I can do them without even thinking about it. But I have to say the cannula in my hand for egg pickups still freaks me out. I still get pretty anxious about that. But usually by the time I really start freaking out about it I'm unconscious so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah the cannula always hurts it's not pleasant it's quite no. it's quite a large flexible type needle so yeah and you're always dehydrated too because mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. have anything before egg pickup so mm-hmm. your veins are already tiny to begin with so it's yeah it's unpleasant awesome um did you want to tell us about the process that you've undertaken to donate your eggs yeah, so I first, like I said, I, I first contacted a clinic and they gave me the option. They said, well, you could either find your recipients or you can donate through the clinic and basically they choose your recipients and it's usually whoever's the first person on that waiting list. And I liked the idea of being able to choose who they went to. I, I felt that was important. So they recommended I join a website called Egg Donation Australia, which is a support group uh, for donors and recipients of egg donation. And so I found that site and I read through all the ads and I found somebody who I kind of connected with and we messaged back and forth a bunch and we met up and went to Darling Harbor in Sydney and we walked around and we talked and we ate lunch and then lunch turned into dinner and we just had a great time and I offered right then and there and said can I would you like me to be your donor and so we uh, made an appointment with their clinic Uh, I met with their specialist Uh, she went through my medical history why I wanted to donate ordered a bunch of blood tests for me to do. We did counseling. You have to do three counseling sessions, one with me and my husband together. Then they did one with themselves. And then we did one all together to kind of go over the legalities, make sure we were all on the same page about expectations and what might happen and those kinds of things. Uh, Then you learn how to do the injections, pick up the meds and it's a like a normal IVF cycle from there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so 
with um just sort of backtracking a little bit this is a question and feel free like you don't have to answer it if you don't feel comfortable um do you and your husband do you want children is there a particular or, or is this sort of you know you sort of don't want kids and this is sort of a path that you've chosen to sort of help others have children yeah I've never I've never had that interest or that pull to have children uh it's something I've always known about myself something that just I know for sure and my husband doesn't want children either we've we've got the dog you know we might get some other animals we're pretty happy with with that kind of life and I thought well I'm young and I probably have these eggs that are just going to waste and not being used and there's people that I recognize even though that it's not my desire their desire to have a family is very strong and they really want kids and that's part of who their life plan and if I could help somebody to to do that I I felt that was important Mm, awesome thank you do you mind telling us a little bit more like about the counseling sessions and what they sort of involved like was it how yeah so the counseling sessions go over the legalities which they do vary from state to state I've donated in New South Wales Tasmania and Victoria uh so those all of those states kind of have different different rules around egg donation but essentially in whatever state you're in when you donate you go on a state register so that at age 18 or earlier if you allow it the child can access your information so that's part of the legality um also part of the legalities is in most states, as soon as the eggs are fertilized, all of my rights and responsibilities end. I no longer, you know, I can't, I can't make any decisions about anything. And like, is as well, the children or the families can't do things like claim on my estate or anything like that. It's all per, it's all severed from the point of fertilization. In Victoria, it's different. You can consent up until the time of transfer. So you can, if you change your mind as an egg donor um, before the embryos are transferred, you can you can say that you you pull consent. I've never really heard of that happening except in extreme circumstances, but in Victoria, that's the that's how that kind of goes. Um, but other than that, after after that's happened, that's severed. They also go over things like uh, future future contact, so like to make sure you're both on the same page of do you want to be in contact and. They also go over things for the recipient parents about telling your child because back a long time ago, they used to tell parents, never tell your kids that they're conceived with donor sperm or donor eggs or that they're adopted. But research has shown that it's actually very detrimental to children to be denied that information and basically to be lied to about their genetic history. So now they recommend to start telling them in age appropriate ways from about the age of three or four, when they can start kind of understanding, you know, mommy needed a little help having you. So this nice lady helped, you know, with a little, with a little, there's, there's, there's lots of age appropriate books to help kind of explain it um, to kids. So they go over that kind of thing in, in counseling. They go over whether or not you would be willing to do a, another cycle for them if they needed to, uh, what you want to happen with the embryos later. So, uh, if you want them to be donated to science or just destroyed or in some places you can choose to on donate those leftover embryos um, 
and those are those are kind of the things that you discuss just to make sure everyone is on the same page about expectations and they talk to donors about how they would feel you know if the cycle fails you know if it's successful how you think you might feel with the children how how you kind of envision what your feelings are going to be in the future as well what do you mean by on donate okay so if uh so for instance one of my recipients has done this so i cycled for them and they had a baby and they had eight leftover embryos after they had their baby and they were done with their family they'd finished that was actually their second child and they didn't want to like defrost the embryos or to just donate them to science so what we all decided together was that we would choose a new recipient and those embryos would go to someone new so we um we actually met someone at uh an eda meetup in sydney and they call my recipients called me on the way home and said what do you think about her would you like to donate to them and i said yeah let's do it and so she's due next month with twins so that's that's an, another option for leftover embryos not just from ivf cycles which is something you can do but also from donor ivf cycles not yeah. all clinics allow it but you can always move embryos from clinics that don't allow it to clinics that do allow it okay um, would you mind just sort of explaining um, why some people need an egg donor? Just right. for those uh, that are listening that don't really know why. Yeah, so some some people need egg donors because they may not have been born with ovaries. They may have uh, have some kind of genetic condition, some chromosomal abnormality in their in their system that doesn't allow them to produce normal eggs. Some people from cancer treatments. Uh, sometimes it's just unexplained fertility. People who maybe have waited longer to have their families and and are kind of in that age group where uh, embryo quality starts to decline. It might be people who, you know, have had various issues, maybe surgeries, maybe other other issues that have damaged their their ovaries and things like that. Uh, obviously, um, like same-sex couples they obviously need an egg donor and a surrogate um for for help there uh yeah there's a lot of reasons why people might might need to go down just their their ivf journey has has come to an end for one reason or another that's awesome thank you i just sort of wanted to clarify that just so people who we have a lot of listeners who um are fertile and actually have never been through ivf treatment so just purely, yeah, from an educational perspective, so why people need egg donors. Have you have you donated to a same sex couple before? I have not. That's uh, I I've kind of donated in a range. I've donated to people who don't have kids. I've donated to uh, a couple couples that I was giving well, like finishing their family. Um, so they had either had a donor before or they had had IVF before and had a child, and then um, their IVF failed for a sibling cycle. And so I helped finish the family. And I've also donated to a lot of single women as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so how many, um, I, I mean, I can see here from your notes, but how many babies have been born from your donations? Uh, six so far, and then twins are due next month. So are they um, 
Now, I'm really ignorant. I just want to make that really clear when it comes to twins. Are they identical or did they transfer to? No. Okay. They transferred two and both stuck. So yeah, so it's so they're technically twins, I guess, if you wanna. But they're 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 fraternal twins, but at the same time, yeah. So it's pretty cool. How does um that feel, being the egg donor, and you know saying that six babies have been born from your donation, and it's going to be up to eight in June. So how does how does that feel for you? It's it's really cool. Like it's it's really neat. It's these people have become my friends. You know, they started out as strangers and just some words on a page online, and they've become my friends over over this journey. It's a very, uh, as you know from your own IVF, it's a very intensive kind of period, and I'm letting and we're sharing that together, and it's it's quite you know it's a it's a bond that comes with that, and it's they've they're my friends. So I celebrate with them that they've struggled and now they're pregnant and now they have families and it's really cool. The The first time I met one of my recipients kids, I basically, it was so, I just thought it was, it was really cool. We all went in his room and he was asleep and they thanked me. And then we all kind of started crying a little bit because it was, it was pretty cool. Like all these people had come together to make this baby and he was so loved before he was even born that so many people had come together to make this possible. And it was just really beautiful. And I pretty much skipped with joy back to the train station on my way home because it was just, it was really neat. Yeah. <laughs> so it just, it feels really good to be able to help people in ways, because like you said, it is such an intensive personal thing to do to help people. You know, it's not like you know, it's not like you, you're donating blood. It's definitely like it's a little bit more intensive than that. So, um, yeah, it's really positive for people to be able to have that option. It's really great. Yeah, it's good to, you know, I think a lot of people uh, who are coming towards the end of their IVF journeys can feel quite hopeless that maybe their their journey to become parents or to finish their families might be over. But truthfully, egg donation, it, it's another it's another option. It's another avenue that can give people hope that that journey doesn't have to be over. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I was just going to ask, so all of your recipients, have you found them on that egg donation forum or? Yes. I found all of my recipients posted ads on egg donation Australia and I read them and, you know, something, something clicked and we, you know, we hit it off and, you know, now, now they're parents. <laughs> um, so like by the sounds of it, you've been pretty open with your egg donation journey. What has the response yes. been like to that? I, I, I pretty much will talk to anybody who is interested in listening, uh, about, about it. Cause I think it's good to spread the word and get it out there. A lot of, a lot of people don't know that it's something that you can do. And there's a lot of, a lot of women I'm, I'm kind of, I would say out of the norm as most donors are mothers. So they want to share that with, with other people because they know what that, what that's like. And so a lot of, a lot of people don't even know it's something that they can do. And when they hear about it, they, they're interested in, in possibly doing it, which I think is important because then the more we spread that word, the more other people can help other people. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that egg donation's an option if their IVF has gone wrong. So I try to talk about it as much as possible. And, 
uh, it's really, I didn't, I didn't become open with my family or my friends really about it until my first recipient was pregnant because I didn't really want to share it if it didn't work. Like I, I didn't, I didn't really know how I felt about it. And I opened up with a big Facebook post about it and explaining it. And I kind of thought a few people might not be so great about it, but the response was overwhelmingly awesome. So I, I really, I was, I was lucky to, to not really have any pushback at all about it. Usually mostly questions. You get, you get, you get a lot of questions, but not any judgment, at least not in my experience. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, what about like with your husband? Um, so my husband basically, he just wanted to make sure that I was okay, um, that I was healthy and that it wasn't going to impact my health or my emotions or, or anything like that. Um, with my first donation, he was very involved. Um, it, it's quite funny. He, I was going to go meet my potential recipients and he was adamant about coming with me and I couldn't really understand what he was so adamant about and he was he was worried that they were going to like kidnap me and steal my eggs and I had to explain to him babe babe it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work like that like it's not like you're somebody's stealing a kidney and putting me in a bathtub like it's <laughs> it's uh it's, it's a little more in intensive the, yeah. it, it's a little more intensive than that but after that he um he was just basically you know he's always just been concerned to make sure that I'm okay and basically as long as I'm happy to keep doing it then he doesn't really he doesn't really mind either way um it is important though that especially uh people with children and things that their their partners are on board because you do need support through the process they do need to be involved in counseling they do need to support you after egg pickup as you know you can't you can't drive or be alone for the first 24 hours and, you know, you might not feel great for the next couple of days. So people with kids probably need a little extra help um, and that kind of thing. So it's good to have your partner on board. And he's always been very supportive of, of that process, even though he might not be as, as super involved as, as other partners might want to be. Mm-hmm. He kind of doesn't need to be, does he? I mean, no, no, yeah. not at all. You, you don't really need to be. And it was funny in our first counseling session, the counselor asked if he felt like the fourth wheel and he just laughed he's like I don't I don't really care he's like he said I don't mean to be rude but as long as she's happy and she's safe that's her her thing to do and if I never see these people again I'm not upset about it (laughs) so you know but that's that's just how he is he doesn't you know he's not so it's your body it's your choice I know yeah exactly I know some donors partners are much more involved and like they do things uh, together and like they might they might read ads together and kind of choose people together uh but yeah my husband's not one of those <laughs> <laughs> um what advice do you have for other people considering donating their eggs uh do your research there's a lot there's a lot of information and there's a lot of options and choices out there uh it can be a bit overwhelming but i think it's good to go in knowing what you're looking for in recipients, knowing what you're looking for in a relationship and kind of being a hundred percent sure before you, you go forward and contact people and anything like that. And just to take, take your time getting to know people. It's a, it's a lifelong connection that you're making with someone. And it's important to make sure that you guys 
click and get along and kind of are on the same page about things. Also do research about clinics and doctors and things like that. Join support groups and, and reach out to people who have donated before because they won't steer you wrong in terms of, of being treated well by specialists and treating being treated well by clinics and things like that. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge wealth of, of people out there that have donated before and are, quote, what, what we like to lovingly call serial donors. Um, and, and, and we have a lot of experience with doing multiple IVFs and multiple donations and are happy to help newbies to make sure that they, you know, can get started in the right way. Yeah. I remember, um, I don't know if you thought about this too, when you went in for your IVF round, but I remember saying to my doctor, um, you know, is this going to send me into early menopause because you're taking all of my eggs? <laughs> so, um, I yeah, don't know. That's, um, that's a huge thing that I get a lot of feedback from people for. I think it's a myth that has kind of persisted for some reason, but the, the medications only mature eggs that you would have lost anyway that month. They're not depleting you faster they're you're born with all the eggs that you're ever going to have and they're just released and they mature the eggs that would have otherwise just kind of fizzled off that month so instead of just releasing one egg or maybe two eggs if you were going to have twins it matures even more so yeah that's that's one that seems to persist and and that seems to be quite uh out there i mean the thing is is that there hasn't actually been a lot of research done with donors who have donated multiple times there's there's some research out there with women who already have fertility problems who have done multiple IVF cycles but it's kind of comparing apples and oranges because some of those conditions were because they already had fertility issues not comparing people with otherwise good fertility who did IVF and then had problems so there isn't actually a whole lot of research out there but anecdotally there's a lot of people in our donor support group who have had children after doing multiple IVF cycles or between cycles and things like that so um it that's just anecdotal of course but that's that is something that people are is a frequent question that we get from people who maybe haven't finished or haven't even started their families yet who are interested in donating mm, yeah that's why I thought I might put it out there because like that would be a question that I would be wondering if I was listening to this podcast. So, yeah, I even you know there's a lot of misinformation out there, and and that's a problem a lot. I see a lot with people going to GPs for fertility mm-hmm. advice. They're mm-hmm. often very very uneducated about mm-hmm. IVF, but let alone donating. Usually, when I go and talk to GPs because I don't have like a GP. I just go to whoever's at the medical center to get my referrals. I'm usually the first person they've ever met that has donated. So I'm usually educating them, which is scary because they might be giving people advice (laughs) about who's eligible and who's who, if a person would make a good donor. And it, it just worries me that a lot of otherwise uh, eligible donors have been put off because GPs have given them inaccurate fertility advice. It's interesting that you say that because pretty much in every interview we we have someone says something about their GP um, and most of the time it's not in a positive light. Um, yeah, it's just something that like they're either really hesitant 
to refer to a fertility specialist um, because they don't think there's a problem um, or, you know, they think people need to try harder and things like that. And we've actually heard someone say that, you know, their doctor said, their GP said, well, I'm, I'm not a fertility specialist. And she's like, well, great, like send me to someone who is then, you know, I'm not asking you to be that. <laughs> so I think that's a really valid point. Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely take any any fertility advice from a GP with a grain of salt, you know, they're general, they're not specialists in, I, in IVF, that's, that's for sure. Advice for people who are looking to use donated eggs, like if you could say anything to the recipients that may be listening, potential recipients, what would you say? Yeah, um, in a lot of clinics tell recipients that it's impossible to find an egg donor in Australia. And I think that's really disheartening because it's not true. It's not true at all. There's so many women in Australia that are willing and wanting to help other women become mothers or, you know, become parents in general. And you don't have to go overseas. You don't have to, you know, go elsewhere to find a donor. And it's unfortunate that a lot of clinics give that information to people. And I think it makes people lose a little bit of hope that maybe it's the expenses out of their reach or the travel. Obviously, right now, there's no international travel. Um, so that I, I think there's so many people here that are willing to help you. You can look here and in in ultimately it's in the best interest of your child to have open access because a lot of overseas is completely anonymous. They don't have access to any information other than whatever the donor gave at the time that they donated. And in Australia, you can contact the donor and especially if you do a known donation like I've done, you can ring up your donor anytime if you have new questions that might pop up. Uh, one of my recipients, um, their child was having like some like asthma kind of symptoms and she called me up and said, hey, I can't remember from all of your paperwork. Do you have a family history of asthma? And I said, nope. And she's like, oh, okay, we're just at the doctor. Just wanted to know. Cool. Thanks. Bye. And it's just stuff like that, that it just makes that information accessible and easy and that relationship open and as the kids grow up they can have access to me if they have questions or the parents can have access to me if they have questions and also that because I've donated you know multiple times those children can all connect with each other as well because it's all open and it's all transparent and it, even if they don't want to know me they might want to know the the connections amongst other families and so to have that door of communication open is a beautiful part of the way that Australia views egg donation and I think it's really good for potential recipients to educate themselves on why that's important and why and the research around adults who are donor conceived and how they feel about being donor conceived and where things go wrong, which is usually when people are dishonest and don't tell and make it a surprise when the child finds out when they're older, maybe on accident or maybe on purpose. And I think it's important for recipients to educate themselves about uh, what's in the best interests of their future child and to, to act accordingly. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you could like talk a little bit about the open versus closed. So with the closed and the register, they would be able to find out for themselves at 18. Is that right? 
Correct. And in some places, you can lower that age as the donor and say that the, the information can be available earlier. I think the youngest age you can put is seven um, so that the parent and it's got to be the child that accesses it. The parents can't do that necessarily. Um, it, but it, it does depend on the clinic and and the state because things do vary a little bit from place to place. But uh, so if you donate just through a clinic, you don't always know who your eggs are going to. They're just going to go to the first person on the waiting list. And then that person can then access, the, the child can then access that information when they turn 18. Whereas with a known donation, obviously, you're in their life in whatever capacity that might be. Maybe you see them a lot. Maybe you don't see them that often, but you have that that open door of communication earlier. I think we've been told that it can take up to four years to find an egg donor in Australia. Is that what we heard from the other interview we did a f- couple of weeks ago, Tiff? Did they yes. say four, four years? Yeah. So I think that was a combination of egg donation and surrogacy within Australia, yeah. I've also... Wow. First- I've um, been because I've joined some of the groups just to have conversations with people and to find people and I saw someone the other day talking about they had been told that it would be four years and up to 50k for surrogacy yeah there's a lot of information out there that seems Mm. to be I would say for surrogacy that might be true I'm not I'm definitely not a surrogacy expert but I do know quite a few surrogates that I wouldn't I don't know about four years but maybe uh but I think on average surrogacy is between about 50 to 70 thousand dollars in Australia uh overseas it's double that um but uh for egg donation in Australia a lot of the clinics will quote one to two years Mm -hmm. for egg donation but that's because most donors aren't interested in just going to a clinic and dropping the eggs off and never hearing from anyone. So they get about one or two people who walk into the clinic who are open to that kind of idea. Most people would like to know who their eggs are going to. So that's why clinics quote that very long number, because that's how many clinic recruited donors they tend to get. It's quite a low, low number in comparison. Whereas like on Egg Donation Australia, I've done the stats for the last four or five years, and the average wait's mm-hmm. about ten weeks. So obviously, a lot of a lot of things impact that wait. Um, uh, obviously, like right now with all of this COVID stuff going on, people are waiting a little bit longer because a lot of donors are parents and they're homeschooling their kids right now, and and life's just a bit. So things are a bit in flux right now um but you know if if people get on and write a really well-written ad that kind of shows your personality and puts it out there and and you're not you know trying to follow the american model where you're looking for a five foot eight blonde haired blue eyed model with a phd um you know (laughs) you you're the the average wait is about 10 weeks and and a lot of things do influence that but that's been the standard average for for many years now and uh well over 100 people find their egg donor on EDA alone let alone there's there's many other sites out there as well basically um, we might jump down to some of the questions from our Instagram 
Um, so how did you find, how do you find the process emotionally? So I'd say what this person's meaning is all encompassing. So, you know, from very start, from start to finish. So once the baby's born, essentially, like, how do you find the whole process? Um, I, I think it can definitely be, it, it can be quite emotional, even from earlier on when, when I first started donating, I had this fear. I was like, what if I don't have any eggs? What if my eggs don't work? What if this, I, these people go through all of this after already having such a hard, long journey to become parents and I can't help them the way that I help, I wanted to help them. And there's that stress and that pressure on you. And then you start doing the meds and you go for your first scan and you're, and you're wondering like, how many eggs are we going to get? And, and what, you know, is it going to be enough? Is it going to, is it going to help? Is it going to be okay? And, you know, you're looking at all the follicles on the, on the screen and you're counting them and you're hoping that all of those become, you know, eggs that'll become embryos, that'll become a baby eventually. And, you know, the, uh, I've done 10, 10 IVF cycles and I did my last one last, um, April. And, even after, you know, five years of doing IVF cycles for other people, I was so anxious the night before because I still worry and I still wonder and I still hope that, you know, I'll get a good number of eggs for them and that they'll be good quality and that it'll result in a lot of embryos and things like that. So I think donors put a lot of pressure on themselves because you've now offered this bit of hope to someone and you worry about what happens if it, if it doesn't work out. And, you know, I've, when I, when my first recipient had her first transfer, uh, she called me and I was at work and she called me and told me that it didn't work. And I had to go outside and I'm not usually a very emotional person, but I went outside and I cried. I was very upset. I, you know, I really wanted that to work for them. I wanted it to work the first try, you know, uh, and it, it really, it really impacted me that I wasn't the immediate magic fix that we had hoped. And it, it was a bit of a roller coaster that I didn't expect that of all of the waiting. Cause you, you know, you have egg pickup and you've got the number of eggs. So you're like, okay, we've got this number of eggs and you've waited for that. And then you wait for, to see how many fertilized. And then you wait for day three and then you wait for day five and then you wait for the transfer and then you wait for the first blood test and then the second blood test and then the seven week scan and then the nine week scan and then the 12 week scan and then the 16 and the 20 and the you know you keep there's all this waiting and hoping from the donor point of view too as you know it's a different kind of waiting from the recipient point of view obviously but we still put a lot of pressure and when things go wrong you blame yourself even illogically you know, when people, you know, I've had recipients who had miscarriages and it, it's really sad. And you, you blame yourself and you wonder, was it your fault? And, you know, was it your genetics that did this and that has got these people in pain and you question yourself and it, it can be quite an emotional process, but it, seeing my recipients with their kids wipes all of that out. Any of that anxiety or that stress, it's overwhelmingly a, a wonderful process and you know the first time you meet their children you wonder how you're gonna feel but now I know it's just a it's an overwhelming excitement and it's pretty cool and you know sometimes people say that they see resemblances or things and I, I don't see it at all but you know you you wonder and you think and you kind of wonder if 
you know, the kids will have anything that are similar to you or, or, or anything like that. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotions that go into it, but overwhelmingly it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. Um, so how do you feel about the kids that are created with your eggs? So obviously, you know, coming from, you know, a perspective where, you know, I've, I've had a baby, um, and you know, you sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say this, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to not be tactful, but you know, you sort of have this a connection with your baby and obviously, you know, you've created it, you've carried it, you've birthed it and everything. I totally understand that. But, you know, how do you feel about the children that are created? You know, do you feel like there's a genetic pull towards the child or have you just sort of, are you really good at compartmentalizing or, you know, that's just, that's the, the recipient's child and, and that's it? Oh, I've never felt anything other than you know, it's like when you see a friend's kid and, you know, I have to say, when you look at pictures of all of the kids from my donations, they're all pretty cute. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, yeah. but I think they're all really cute. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I don't really, I was such a small part in a big journey, you know, of for these, for all of my recipients. Uh, I've never, I've certainly never felt any kind of genetic pull when I've met all of them. Uh, I'm kind of scared of holding kids because I worry that I'm going to <laughs> break them or drop them or maybe they'll start crying. Um, so it's mostly I'm just excited for my recipients. You know, the, the focus is on them and, and less on on the kids. You know, um, it's it's pretty cute now because the eldest one is now four. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to have a bit more personality in a way that I feel like I can interact with because, you know, you can't really... I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm not a kid person, so I'm not very good at interacting with babies. So, um, but you know, once they start kind of getting a personality and, and one of, one of my recipients kids, um, was quite interested in, in being a, like he wants, he says that he wants to be a police officer. And every time they walk past the police station, they, um, like he talks about how he wants to catch bad guys and everything. And I worked for the police in the U S And so that connection was really cool. So I gave him one of my patches from my old uniform and that was just a cool moment, but it's not a genetic moment. It's just kind of one of those cool little connections that I just thought was, was kind of neat. It wasn't, I never felt like it was a genetic thing as much as it was just like, oh, cool. A kid likes something that I, I can relate to here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can help here. I understand this. This is neat. Um, And I, I thought that was quite was quite cool. I like um your analogy of referring to it as one of your friends' kids, you know, like I think that's a really yeah. great way to look at it. Like that to me, like I can completely understand that. You care for them and you know, you can even it's... grow to love other people's children. You think they're really cute and everything, but it's just yeah, there's there's still someone else's child, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately these kids don't look to me. You know what I mean? When they yeah. when they fall down or when they're upset, they're not looking to me. I'm not I'm not anything to them other than, you know, mom and dad's friend or mom's friend, you know. Um, they they look to their mom yep. because they're their mom. Yep. And that's it's just, you know, I gave a tiny cell and they did all the other hard work. Yep. <laughs> that's 
and continue. We'll continue to do that other hard work for the next 18 <laughs> to 30 years. And until they die. <laughs> yeah, until until the parents die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tiff, did you want to ask some questions? Exactly. Um, I have one of my own. Like, So you've mentioned seeing the children, obviously. What does your relationship with the children mm-hmm. look like and their families? Um, so I, because I've donated multiple times, I thought it was important for all of my recipients to know each other as well. So I actually have a private Facebook group where all my recipients are in and they post pictures and updates and, you know, happy birthdays and and things like that so that they all have that connection should their children want to connect later on. Um, and then I, I meet up with my recipients when I can, uh, a number of my recipients are in Melbourne, so I don't see them that often. I was meant to go down there soon to meet two of the new babies and, and catch up for one of the other's birthday, but obviously with this COVID stuff, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and my, I have a, I have a couple of Sydney recipients and we try to get together at first it was like once a year and we we're starting to see each other a little more, but again, now this COVID stuff has, has kind of put a kibosh on that. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, we catch up. It's like a lot of other friends. Life is busy. They've got their families. That was the whole point is to make them busy with their children and doing other things. So no one's in each other's pockets or anything. We Facebook's a great way to kind of neutrally catch up and, you know, you post something and it's like, oh, they're still alive. Very good. Great. You know, like, and you move on kind of thing. And, you know, some, some, I have different relationships with all of my recipients. Some people I talk to more, some people I talk to less. It's just whatever that natural progression of the relationship is to, to kind of, you know, connect and, and, and continue that ongoing thing. But the ultimate thing for me is always that they know that from my end, the door of communication is open and should they need anything and should they have any questions that I'm always contactable and I always am open to that in whatever way suits everybody involved. The, the only thing I guess I would add with that about embryo on donation is that the donor must consent to that. You can't, the, the recipient can't just do them without your consent because that impacts your family limits. So in Australia, a donor can only donate to a maximum of 10 families in all of Australia. Some states have more restrictions. There are five. So New South Wales, Tasmania, Mm -hmm. and WA are all five, whereas everywhere else is 10. So Mm -hmm. you can't on-donate embryos if the donor has already hit their family limit for instance. Mm -hmm. So um, I have seven recipients, so I have three spots left. Um, If I had kids of my own, I would have two spots left because they count you as your own family. So Wow, that's interesting. You can't on-donate embryos without, yeah, yeah, so it's great. There are restrictions, and that's the same for sperm donation Mm -hmm. as well. Why why is it 10? Um, The concept is because of 10 they kind of came to that number because in the case that you are donating in a mm-hmm. like a de-identified way so if you're just donating through a clinic the idea is to limit the possibility that you will the children might meet 
you know, you might, you know, spread so many of your right. you know, genetics around that the children might accidentally yes. meet and date and fall in love and try to have children right. together. Yes. Um, uh, but so that's it's trying to limit the that kind of thing. It's less relevant with known donation because obviously they they will know one another. Uh, but that's the number that they've cap they've decided is appropriate um i don't know why new south wales with the highest population has the lowest number uh but that's that's just what they've decided but because i live in new south wales i did my first five donations or i did my first four donations in new south wales and then did my other donations interstate so it's anything you can donate in the higher limit states once you've kind of hit it if you live in one of those home states that are lower you can go to donate in other states that are higher limits so that's how i've done okay yeah so each state has its own limit on what you can donate and then you can sort of go to the other states to sort of make up that 10 yeah right yeah so but it's 10 max nationwide so yeah you can't like you can't donate 10 times in victoria and 10 times yeah. in queensland and five times in, it's 10 it's 10 australia wide and uh, i don't know if you have a lot of new zealanders but it's five in new yeah. zealand let's just spread your genetic material everywhere you know yeah <laughs> have all these yeah, incestuous exactly. children but that's the problem is the the problem is is that in some countries there is no limit yeah so you don't really mm. know how many um you know there's been a lot of controversy with some sperm donors that have donated to hundreds of families and the the implications and complications that come with that so that's why australia does have have a limit on on how how many you can donate to and it's a lot anyway you know to do that many ivf cycles Mm -hmm. anyway to get to that point where you do you know i've done 10 cycles but it's only for seven Mm -hmm. families um so i would need to do three more cycles to to hit that and you know that's it's quite a lot of Oh my goodness, that's so much. Um, one question I do have is, in terms of the IVF cycles and the medications and things like that, do you pay for all of that, or do the recipients pay for that? No, the recipients pay for everything. Donors are never paying for any of any of any aspect mm-hmm. of it, and recipients are also expected to reimburse donors. We can't make money; it's illegal to profit from egg donation but if you have actual losses so like if you have to pay for parking when you go to an appointment if you you know the petrol to get to an appointment your time off work if you had to put your kids in childcare to go to the appointment um any time off work for your partner to come to appointments or to look after you after egg pickup all of those are expenses that you know, you wouldn't have incurred if you hadn't been donating. So the recipient is expected to cover anything that the donor is out of pocket because of the donation. So most of my donations, I've never had to um, spend any money, but sometimes little hiccups happen and and scans don't get covered or or things like that. And your recipient just reimburses Mm -hmm. you right away to to make sure that you're not you're not out of pocket for anything like that. And usually it all gets billed back to the clinic anyhow. Um, I think the last one from our Instagram questions is um, 
do you feel like it's your responsibility to make sure the child is treated well by the parents? I feel like we've sort of, we have sort of touched on that, but it's just sort of a little bit of a different angle to come from. Yeah, I mean, I I feel a very strong responsibility to choose recipients who have thought about why and when they're going to tell their child about being donor conceived because of all of the research around that. So one of so basically the first thing I look for when I'm reading advertisements to find a, a recipient is that they are committed to being open and honest with their child and you know they don't necessarily have to be open with the whole world about it but that they have a an attitude to make sure that their child is never going to feel like it's a secret or that it's shameful or that anything like that that they're going to be open and honest with their child and support them in being donor conceived rather than trying to hide it or to try to minimize it you know that it's going to just be a normal part of that child's story and it's going to be in the best interest of them so in that way I really do feel uh, an obligation to make sure that they're treated well Um, I think you know meeting that's why I would never be comfortable just donating my eggs to the clinic and never knowing who I'm donating to because I don't know the intentions or the thoughts of that person they could you know just because someone is going through IVF doesn't necessarily make them a good person (laughs) um uh, and and it could be anybody that's the next person on that list and that's kind of scary to me (laughs) you know you don't really know who that person is whereas I choose my recipients I get to know them I get a you know you get a pretty good feel for most people pretty pretty quickly about who they are and what they're about and uh, I, I, I do feel that obligation in a way. I mean, obviously, I, I'm not micromanaging their, their parenting. They can do what they want. But definitely in terms of making sure that they have good intentions and a good thought process around being donor conceived. Because it is different than just, as you guys kind of say in your intro, having a too, too many vodka cruisers and having a kid. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, a different, <laughs> it's a different process and it's a different there's different implications and it's it's important that people recognize that it is it is different and it's not the same and that the children do need to be informed and and made to feel like it's a normal part of normal part of their story and it's just who they are and how they came to be and and truly i think it's a it's such a beautiful story to tell people and a beautiful story to tell your child that you loved them so much before they were even born that all of these people came together to make them possible. I just think it's a really beautiful story and there's no reason to lie about that or to feel shameful about that. It's it's really beautiful that they wanted you so much that they were willing to do anything, willing to go to the ends of the earth and find another person that was also willing to go through a a medical procedure for a complete stranger <laughs> to help them have a family. And I think that's a really cool story to tell a kid um, that it wasn't just too many vodka cruisers. It was intentional and you were wanted and loved before you were even there. Mm-hmm. And you were just a thought in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, just a hope, just a hope and a prayer mm-hmm. and you know, that, and they're, and 
I think that's cool. I don't know. I think it's it's really cool. So basically, like you just try and choose people that you connect with on, you know, probably an emotional level, which means that in terms of choosing a donor and feeling that responsibility towards the child, you make sure you choose parents that align with your values. Um, yeah, to try and avoid that situation. And I just think like that is such a weighted question to ask and it's such a thing, you know, it's such a big thing to sort of have in the back of your mind by cho- by, by choosing the right or what you feel are the, who, who you feel are the right people then sort of eliminates all of that for you. So that's, that's really good. That's a good way to, to look at it. Yeah, um, is there anything else you want to add or discuss? I, I guess also in terms of recipients, advice for recipients is that, uh, as I'm sure you guys know, not all specialists and not all clinics are created equal. And it's the same when it comes to egg donation too. And I think it's just really important to have a good team that you really trust when you're going through the egg donation process, and obviously with the IVF process too, but as like the stories that I've seen just seems to be like a lot of specialists don't investigate everything possible before either suggesting donor eggs or or once you get to donor eggs they haven't investigated everything to make sure that those egg donation transfers will mm-hmm. work and I think it's really important to do your research and to make sure that you have had every test possible and you have had things like endo investigated and you have had all of those kinds of things ruled out so that you're doing the most possible so that those embryos from your donation can work and it just seems like a lot of clinics and a lot of specialists don't always do that and it's really frustrating to watch from an egg donor perspective that clinics aren't always doing everything for people who are have gone such through such hard roads to become parents Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're just treated like a number and donors are just treated like a number or like chickens producing some eggs you know and it's and it's quite it's quite challenging so I think it's really important to to do your research in terms of specialists and clinics that know how to do egg donor cycles and and understand what to investigate because as I'm sure you guys know the only person that's going to advocate for you mm-hmm. is you and you're the one who knows your body the best and you're the one who knows everything about you the best and you have to really have a good team of people around you to that you trust to go through this so i think it's it's so important for recipients to to make sure that they choose choose wisely when when going through these processes cuz i feel like i see a lot of people kind of being taken advantage of in either doing so many IVF cycles and not being recommended donor eggs or maybe being recommended donor eggs too quickly or you know just various combinations of all of those things so I think it's just there's so much information out there and so many support groups and things that you can really get a lot of good feedback about people's experiences with different specialists and different clinics and Mm -hmm. things so is is your dog running around um, he's he just jumped out. I of thought bed I heard that. Yeah, I thought I heard his little collar. Yeah. 
yeah, did you did you hear he was sniffing my ear <laughs> and I was trying to keep my composure <laughs> while he was sniffing. Oh, that's so cute. And I was like, please get away from me before I start laughing. <laughs> what a cutie. Um, um so thanks so much for joining us today, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Volodka Lushenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.